time to take the next step with Looney Libis. This week, we're talking about how to get your story told by the press, what that means, what the press is looking for, and a, a few other topics. And I have a special guest to talk about that. My name is Devin Thorpe. I'm a regular Forbes contributor. I call myself a champion of social good. and I'm all about social entrepreneurship and impact investing. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I invited you because being talked about in the news is something that a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, they don't understand how it actually happens. So A, they expect it just happens somehow, like journalists just come calling and, and you tell your story. And B, they, they just expect it as one of the things that happens when they start the, their company. They don't, they don't know that you actually have to work at it to get it done. So why don't we jump straight to how, how, do, you, how do you find these stories that you tell on your show and, and write about in your articles? Yeah, you make such a powerful point, and this will, this will make the point for you, I think. And that is about, uh, I wish it were lower percentage, but I think it's n- more than 90% of the people who were on my show last year or that I wrote about in Forbes or in my other publications pitched me a story. That is, they reached out with a story idea and asked me to write about it. And- now. To be clear, I want to put that in some context quickly before there's any confusion, but I probably get a hundred pitches for every one that I do something with. So you're getting a hundred pitches a week and doing one article? What's what's your rate of output? So I'm I'm getting several hundred pitches every week, and I do four episodes of my show every week. Three or four will will also get an article on Forbes. And that's your primary uh, channel at the moment is Forbes. Well, primary in terms of it's the, it's the most read, but thankfully the, the show is building an audience independent of Forbes now. And so oftentimes people that aren't on Forbes get as many listens on the podcast. And so they'll get some good attention. And, and I'll, let's go that direction, which is when I was a young entrepreneur back in the 20th century, what, what we wanted was press as in, as in printing press. We wanted to be in Forbes, the magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in Time magazine, and and the industry journals that, that used to exist back then. When you say Forbes, are you are you getting articles in the paper part? Or are you on Forbes.com, the electronic? Paper? I'm on Forbes.com. They have a contractual right to publish anything they want in the magazine, but after 500 articles, they've never done that. So I need to do a better job of pitching my story ideas to Forbes to get into the magazine. But you know what? Yeah, I know you probably want that because it feels more prestigious. But what I tell entrepreneurs these days is I don't care at all if you're in the newspaper or in a print magazine because you can't share that on social media. Right. You, know, you can't get that out to the world and, and uh, increase its value except for p- taking a picture of it, which no one's going to read. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can relate to that and give you a really funny example. I wrote an op-ed for the Salt Lake Tribune. And they ran it in the newspaper, but they didn't put it online. And it was just an omission. For some reason, the op-ed, you know, the editorial page editor didn't click the button for it to go online. And it was really weird not being able to share this item that I had written about climate change because it was not digital. It was only in the paper. I was, yeah. It was really freaking me out. <laughs> yeah. And welcome to the 21st century. Yeah. All right. So how much of the stuff you're writing about is business related? How much of it is, I hate the term social enterprise, but uh, companies that are doing good in the world versus nonprofits or or governments or anything else? 
I would say that a majority of what I write about is connected to a for-profit business. And I don't care whether the company that's doing good is is a nonprofit or a for-profit entity, and there are for-profit impact investors and nonprofit impact investors and for-profit social entrepreneurs and nonprofit social entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. all I care about really is whether you're making a difference on the extreme poverty, global health, and climate change. How long have you been writing about these topics? Seven years, uh, seven or eight years. I, I wrote a book called Your Mark on the World about uh, eight years ago right now. And that book has been kind of a, a touchstone for me, but I didn't identify those three problem areas in that book. But I came to quickly sort of summarize my worldview into those three buckets uh, shortly thereafter. And I realized, oh, a couple of years ago that I wasn't talking about that clearly enough. And so I started identifying those three buckets as being kind of my thing and increasingly try to remind people that that's where my thoughts are and trying to address those three things. You got a pretty, pretty broad stroke there. In the, in the, when I jumped into the world of social good, which is now seven years ago, we would just talk about environmental and social good. And that basically covers everything. Yeah. Right. Uh, everything that isn't just maximizing profits. Yeah. Okay, and let's just dive into, into journalism as a business for a second. So Forbes exists as a business, right? It's, it's not oh, yeah. charity. What's, what's the business model right now in journalism? It used, to be, it used to be print sheets of paper with ads on them. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it now? What, what keeps Forbes going? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Forbes is clearly making its money that way. Uh, They made a big shift last year. As I recall, it was early last year, but they dramatically reduced the advertising and the advertising manipulation that they did. I hate to call it that, but for instance, before last year, I would write a 2000 word article and they would put it across six pages, right? So if somebody wanted to read the whole thing, that they would literally have to click through six times and six times the page would load with fresh ads and the whole blah, blah, blah. Well, they made a dramatic shift and radically reduced the amount of advertising on every page, added a little more video advertising. And I think what they must see, I haven't, you know, they don't share the, these secrets with me, but what I think what they must see is that the video advertising actually works and as a result is, uh, is the most valuable piece. And so they've eliminated a lot of that. So it, it's actually, I really enjoy writing for them more because when someone gets an article, it's going to load all on one page. So they don't have to navigate multiple times to the next page to finish the article. And then the other advantage is that it's much cleaner. There are many fewer distractions. It's not no ads. They still have ads. But anyway, I think the the, the model for Forbes is they're trying to tease as much quality content out of people who are paid little or nothing to write it as they possibly can. Um, And and so what do you, when you're picking from the, you said one in a hundred gets written about. Do you have an eye toward who might advertise on that page? Or do you just have an eye toward, I think this is a good story. This will, get, this will be more read by more people than the other 99. Yeah, I have never once thought about what advertisers on Forbes would like. Uh, yeah. It's never crossed my mind. I, I hope Forbes is happy with that. I think my editors would be. 
They now, some of the content I put on my show, I have to admit, sometimes that that thought will enter in, you know, in terms of what would my sponsors want. But okay, that, that's interesting because in that case, that's your channel and your yeah. brand and your, yeah. your sponsor. But I tend to be more aggressive about the nature of stories on my own site than I am at Forbes uh, because I have editors who yell at me if they don't like what I produce. Okay, but in both of your channels, written and in video, the real goal is what's the best story that's going to get viewed by the most number of people? You know, um, I'm not even that thinking okay. about that. Um, what I'm really thinking about is what do I care about? And I'm hoping that what I care about, someone else cares about. My, my thesis is there are other people who care about what I care about. It may not be a lot, but even if it were one in a hundred, that would just be three million people in the United States. Yeah. Right? So uh, I, I keep thinking that there, there are plenty of people who must think like me. I will write and talk about and talk to people that I am interested in. Okay. I will admit I make mistakes. And the, the biggest regrets I have are when I take recommendations from friends. And that's a horrible thing to admit. But I, I sometimes feel guilty and will agree to, you know, do something for a friend, a genuine friend. But what I find is that in general, my friends are really not great pickers of social impact personalities. They don't have the portfolio. They don't have, they didn't choose that person from a hundred pitches. Yeah. So it, it's actually interesting and uh, totally unrelated to this topic, but I have the same effect when picking fledglings. So we get hundreds of choices. We're not picking one in a hundred, but we're picking seven of 400, which is pretty mm -hmm. close to that, that. Yeah, pretty that close. Same, similar ratio. Um, and, and so uh, I and the rest of the screeners get to see hundreds. And over the years, I've seen thousands and thousands of applicants. And then I will get someone who's adamant that such and such needs to come in. Like they're, they're an awesome, awesome human being. They have to be selected. You'd be a fool to pass them up. But that person who's doing the recommendation may, may be someone I know, maybe not. They didn't see the other 400. Right, right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I have, you know, I'm rarely accused of being too nice, but that, that nice part of me comes out and gets me in trouble sometimes and I regret it. And I, which raises another issue that you probably deal with too, Looney. And, and maybe you're game to talk about this for just a minute because I'd love your take on it. And I don't want to turn the tables here on you, but um, this is, this responding. Is the, this is the problem with interviewing an interviewer. Well, go ahead. That's right. But responding to the people that you aren't going to, in my case, write about. Uh, and I'm getting 100 pitches a week. So I have an automated system. You've emailed me, so you've seen what the automation says. And it basically says if if you share a story idea and we like it, we'll get back in touch with you. Um, yeah, we, we, go, we go way past that. So that's the norm in my industry, in the, in the world of business accelerators, is if you apply and you get in, they talk to you. And if you don't, you, you, you basically don't get an invitation. You may yeah. get a notice that you don't get accepted, but that's not what Fledge does. For Fledge, if you fill out the application, we will either invite you in, which is the rare case, or we'll provide personalized feedback on what you can do to be better. Yeah. Um, which is, 
it takes up an entire day, no matter how many applications there are, it seems. And um, is uh, it's not just challenging to do, but heartbreaking. Yeah. Because historically, I've done it from the lowest rating to the highest rating. Start with the ones that none of the screeners liked. Pretty easy. Hey, lots of people applied. Uh, they had managed to find customers and you haven't yet. Come back when you have customers. Yeah. You want to write. Or we've seen this plan pitched 10 times before. None of them have worked yet. Maybe you want to um, take, your, take your problem statement, but go with a different solution completely. Then they start to get to the ones that we like, that if we had more time and more money and more cities, we would bring in, but we don't, in which case that's part of the message. Hey, we liked you. You were number 10. We, we take seven. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> pretty, it's a very hard thing to write, but we, we have to provide a reason why, right? And it would be, you know, you, uh, often it'd be you're, you're working in a country we haven't worked before. So it's not, it's not you, it's us. Yeah. Um, or it could be everything is good, but you, you haven't built out the team yet. Or you have some, there's always some reason and we'll provide some tidbit. And we do that for every single application. Yeah, that's just amazing. It's just amazing that you do that. And it's incredibly valuable for the well, This is a difference, right? My business exists to, well, it's not super different, but my business yeah. exists to help these entrepreneurs. That's why yeah. I started this company. And so we want to help entrepreneurs, whatever that, you know, in any way we can. We can't afford to help them in, in all in the big, deep way we do with a few of them. But yeah. we want to help all of them. And as opposed to if you, if you did in fact simply find a way to write a hundred articles a day mm -hmm. uh, and publish all those stories, most of them would never get read. Yeah. You would not in fact be, uh, be doing what they want you to do, which, which is get some stories out there to be read by hundreds of thousands or millions of people. For yeah. sure. You, you, you are providing an invaluable service. I hope your, uh, the people you reject appreciate the tremendous value that you offer. The ones that come in appreciate the value more than the ones that don't. But uh, a subset no. of the ones that get, get those letters apply again. I'll predict that in two, three years, nobody gets in on the first try. That the norm in the, in the industry moves to, you've applied two or three times before you get in. Wow. Record right now is four. Four, four rejections before getting in. Man. I'm glad we brought him in, but uh, he wasn't ready the first two times. Yeah. Third time he was close. Fourth time he was eighth on the list. Oh, ouch. It was ouch, except somebody, uh, actually what happened was the U.S. government wouldn't give one of the top seven a visa. So I reached back out and said, hey, you know, we rejected you, but would you like to come anyway? Oh, wow. Miracle. The conversation with Devin turned toward crowdfunding. And we'll talk about that next time. Until then.